0: It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Time
1: Innovation in the financing space. The
0: high speed train is in all our interests.
1: All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving
0: much faster than
2: that. You've got something that's transformational.
0: Solar window in a can.
1: Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action.
0: Taking it to a do-it-yourself level.
1: Hello, good morning and welcome to the BZ, another edition of our show here at uh, the 3CR radio stations in Melbourne. Syndicated around Australia on Community Radio Network and you're able to find them on podcasts at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au, or whatever podcasting app you choose to use. You can also follow us at Twitter at bzetechshow. My name Laura, and today I'm live in the studio with Richard Keach and Yasmina Dikisi. Today I'll be handing over to Richard to do an expert interview for us. Richard's an engineer, consultant, and author with particular interest in renewable energy and energy efficiency. He has a master's degree in engineering, electronics and environment, energy efficiency. And he was a key author of the Zero Carbon Australia Buildings Plan and a regular contributor to the Alternative Technology Association's publication on topics related to energy efficiency. Richard recently wrote a book on home energy efficiency, which has just been published and he lives in Melbourne with his family in their zero carbon home. Thanks for joining us Richard.
0: morning Laura, good to be here.
1: Now, Yasmina, who will be our interviewee, she holds a master's degree of engineering at Lyon Engineering School of Chemistry, Physics and Electronics, and a master's of research from the University of Claude Bernard of Lyon in France. She's currently doing a PhD at the University of Melbourne and works in close collaboration with Monash University and the CSIRO. Her research focus is on, the focus is on the development of flexible thin film PV or polymer substrates. In particular, she is looking at de- device fabrication techniques and at particular industrial concerns such as the reproducibility and the manufacturing processability and the stability of perovskite solar cells. Welcome Yasmina. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for coming in, guys. Nice and early. Before I hand over to Richard, I just wanted to ask you, Yasmina, uh, how did you first become interested in renewable energy?
2: Well, since I was a kid, I've always felt strongly about environmental issues and I always wanted to do something good in that respect, and so that's how I got into science and research, thinking that if we could develop, for instance, processes not to produce waste, we'd get rid of this problem, or if you could develop new technologies, new renewable technologies, you'd give, uh, I suppose, decision, decision makers uh,
1: solutions that they couldn't ignore. That's a great way to come to it. All right, I'll uh, hand over to you, Richard.
0: Great. Thanks, Laura. Um, yes, Mia, building on your interest in renewables, how did you get into the field?
2: Uh, well, so um, as Laura described, so I did a, a Master of Engineering and, and, and Research in, in France, and then uh, so ha- I had done some research placements in, back in Europe, and I decided that I wanted to do more research. And so I started looking for um, academics that I could do research with, and so I thought of coming to Australia, applied for uh, scholarships, got a scholarship at the University of Melbourne, and started doing my PhD here in advanced uh, photovoltaics. Awesome,
0: Bye. Bye. Okay, your research is in a branch of photovoltaics. Can you put this in context? What are the main different types of solar cell?
2: Um, So uh, if you have uh, solar PV on your roof, typically it will be silicon, the crystalline silicon technology. But there are other types of uh, technologies out there, although they're very... Minor compared to the silicon technology. So there's, for instance, thin film technologies such as um, copper indium uh, gallium selenide or cadmium telluride cells. Uh, there's also so the advantages of those uh, thin films um, would be that you make them. Uh, They'll be less efficient than silicon cells, but cheaper. Then you've also got more sophisticated technologies, so multi-junction cells, so more expensive technologies, but also more efficient if you compare it to silicon cells. And then you've got another branch uh, of very low-cost technologies. Uh, So a few examples of that um, would be the dye-sensitized solar cells and uh, the organic photovoltaics, so very low-cost technologies. And from these technologies, a, a new emerging technology called the perovskite solar cell the per- yeah, um, sort of was born using the knowledge from these past technologies and, and bringing new hope for these low-cost technologies.
0: Awesome. So where do the perovskites fit into that sort of taxonomy? They're not they're not organic. They're not the crystalline silicon. Where do they fit?
2: So they're called hybrids because they use both organic and inorganic uh, materials. So they were first, So these particular materials called perovskites have been around for a while but it's only in 2009 that they were first applied to a solar cell. And so they were applied to a dye-sensitized solar cell. So in the dye-sensitized solar cell you've got a dye which absorbs the photons from the Sun and then convert them into electrons. But what these researchers in 2009 did was that they actually, instead of using this dye, they used this perovskite material in this system. With time people realized, oh, actually We can make these structures much simpler now. These materials are very efficient and you can make these films very, very thin and you can absorb a lot of light and convert uh, this light into electricity very efficiently.
0: Okay, so that's the promise of perovskite, is it?
2: There's a few, I suppose, that, yeah, the promise uh, can be divided in different uh, points. So first of all, yeah, the fact that they're very efficient in terms of how little material you need to actually produce good efficiencies. That's, that's definitely an advantage. So you can make these cells very thin. So when I say very thin, it'd be much thinner than uh, human hair. Uh, and you can also make them very easily. So you don't have these extensive, very energy consuming manufacturing processes to produce these cells. So for instance, because they're made of uh, solutions, you can think of um, just coating them on onto uh, a, a substrate, um, which would all be done at low temperature and very rapidly. So, to give you a comparison, um, you'd be able to, uh, in the same time that you, and same time in same temperature, you are making yourself a cup of tea. You can make this active layer, so very low temperature, very easy to to make, and so the promise on the on the financial. Uh, Uh, viewpoint is that because these materials are are very cheap you don't need much of them uh, so you can make them very thin but also from the manufacturing process uh, viewpoint you also make them very easily so from these two aspects uh, they become um, very interesting
0: Are the raw materials abundant and non-toxic?
2: Well that's touching on one of the major drawbacks of the technology. Abundancy is not an issue but, uh, so the main material which is uh, being used in the perovskite technology is based on lead, which is toxic. Uh, although, we're not using much of lead. So in, in the act- active material, there only be 40.4% uh, of it, but um, it still means that there is a toxicity, so it's not ideal. But also, the, I think the most uh, important aspect of that is that the decomposition products soluble in water, so you don't want to have lead material which is soluble in water, which could then uh, mix with uh, water supplies or this this kind of thing. So that's definitely not ideal, but people are talking about either using lead from waste, lead-acid batteries, so recycling that, or developing alternative materials. So instead of using lead, you'd replace lead with less toxic materials. So people have done research on tin-based perovskite solar cells But at the minute, they're less efficient than the perovskite solar cells based on lead. But it's probably also due to the fact that less people are researching those particular materials. And so as more people, more chemists, come in and and play with these materials, they'll come up hopefully with alternatives.
0: Cool. What are the roadblocks that might prevent this technology becoming commercial?
2: So I think the toxicity of, of lead is definitely one of them so having so bypassing that would be a major breakthrough i think to make them commercialize also there's one thing you have to to bear in mind is that at at this stage this technology is uh, at the lab scale stage and so people have been recording this amazing 20 percent efficiencies which is which are very promising but that
1: wow.
2: it's very promising because the technology is still very uh, young so it, it was only discovered or um, invented in 2009 and six years later, you've already got this tremendous improvement, which is really great to, to see when you compare it to other technologies which have been maybe stagnant for for, for some years in terms of the improvement in their efficiency. But So the, the point I'm trying to make here is that if you make a 20% cell which is very small, which is the state, the state of the art at the minute, people make these cells in the lab and they make cells which are less than one centimeter square big. So that's 20% of a small cell, but then that might be a different story when you move into a bigger cell. So at the minute, silicon cells are 20%, but they're modules on your roof. So you have to bear that in mind when you say, oh, this is a, this is a, I think it's a great technology, but it's still at its early stage. And so there's a lot of progress that needs to be done to upscale them. And so also because of the technologies that are being used in the lab are good for small-scale small devices. And so you wanna really be working on the fabrication techniques and trying to make them more commercially viable. So that's one aspect, the, the size of the device is one thing that will have to be worked on. There's another roadblock that comes to mind, and that is the stability of these cells. So at the minute, these materials, the perovskite materials that are being used, are moisture sensitive, so they don't like water too much, which is not ideal if you want them (laughs) to work for a while. So, you know, it's one thing to have a cell that works really well one day, but then if it's dead the day after, you've got Mm. a bit of a problem. So stability is uh, is being addressed. A lot of researchers are uh, spending time looking at improving this stability by changing the device architecture and yeah there's a lot of engineering that needs to be done on that in that respect but also there's also encapsulating these devices if you don't want them to be reacting with the, your external environment you want them to you want to protect them so you can develop new technologies to actually uh, prevent the water, water ingress into the the devices
0: cool with conventional silicon panels, you have an array of individual cells connected in series. Is it likely to be like that with a perovskite panel, Mm -hmm. lots of individual cells, or is it more like a thin film where you have a a more uniform surface?
2: So I want to touch on uh, two aspects here. You could use these perovskite cells as modules like in the silicon technology and actually there's one aspect that I would like to talk about is that these cells don't have to be a competitor to the silicon technology. Uh, People are looking at tandem cells, tandem silicon perovskite cells and the idea would be that if you have two cells that absorb different parts of the solar spectrum, uh, you can make them work together to reach even higher efficiencies. So you don't have to think, oh, this is an alternative technology to silicon cell. Let's be competitive. You could also work together to make the present technology better, and people are mm-hmm. working on that. And so in that respect, you could coat those perovskite materials onto the silicon cells, and I don't see why this wouldn't be then used on your on your rooftop in the modules that you describe. But you could also, hopefully, if the technology is proven to be scalable you can have thin films bigger modules of these so you can think of then integrating these thin film technologies onto solar roofing so you can for instance use steel frames and have the thin films on top and then you can you can you know touch on the the whole installation cost problem so if you have these very easy to make materials and then you can uh, install them at a cheaper cost because they don't need any sort of complicated installation to be done then it makes the whole thing even cheaper and more uh, user-friendly.
0: With, with silicon cells that people are familiar with most of the energy that they can extract comes from one selected band of the sunlight. Is, is it like that with perovskites that that it's selective in terms of getting the energy out of the sunlight?
2: Yeah so per, the perovskite material is a semiconductor so it has a band gap which means that it's going to absorb photons of a particular, a certain part of the solar spectrum. Yeah. The in- interesting thing about these perovskite materials is that they have quite a, a wide band gap, which gives them a good voltage, which is another, a high voltage, which gives them another advantage.
0: Okay. Well, what the typical um, silicon cell is about half a volt. What, what might a perovskite cell give?
2: So uh, the band gap is of approximately one point five electron volt, and typically the uh, volt voltage that you get for a small scale d- device is near one volt. Okay. So yeah, it's, it's quite,
0: it's quite. That's promising. about twice, twice that from a, a silicon cell. That's good. If hypothetically we're able to get these perovskite cells into into modules and and connecting into our inverters, are there likely to be any issues with with how that might happen? Like are there any? is is it going to play well with the other parts of a rooftop solar system?
2: Yeah, I think I don't see any technological issue really, especially if people are now thinking of using this pair scat cells on top of uh, silicon of the silicon technology, they could just use the same system, same inverters that they would use on 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 in a um, normal available system. but I, I, what I, I like to point out is that, I don't see that this technology would mainly be applied to rooftops. You can see, because of the lightweight of these materials, you can start thinking about other applications, maybe more niche applications. So you can start thinking of, for instance, uh, use the semi-transparency of these materials and have them embedded into your building, so instead of having windows that don't give you any electricity. You can actually have active windows that, uh, yeah. when light is shown
0: through. The old promise of building integrated photovoltaics. Yes. That promise has been around for a long time. <laughs> um, if you did put the perovskite on top of a silicon cell, is it, is it really, are they integrated, or is it effectively like one cell on, electrically independent on top of another cell?
2: Yeah, so at, at the minute, the idea is to just coat the perovskite material or, and all of the other components because of course there need to be intimated layers to make things work properly. Yeah. They would be the same device.
0: okay yeah. Wow in in some application thin films are, are are thought to be less efficient, but they have their niches. Um, where do you see the niche for perovskites being? you think it's going to be in this building integrated type of situation?
2: Uh, you can think of that as one option. then there's the other option of using this perovskites on different substrates. So I said in the introduction, I'm particularly interested in uh, flexible thin films. And so I'm looking at printing those uh, or depositing these perovskite materials onto flexible lightweight uh, materials. So you can then start thinking about different applications such as consumer uh, electronics or Textiles, which you can use to produce electricity, or you know, you'd have some photovoltaic panels on your backpack, and so you don't want it to be heavy. So you'd use all these lightweight materials, and you can recharge your your phone or whatever you you wish to.
0: Wow. You obviously, well, you mentioned that you're doing this at the University of Melbourne, um, and yeah. there's obviously your your peers there are doing other research. Any other interesting things? That are happening in your department in the, in the way of solar research.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of interesting things going on. Um, so I'm I'm based at Melbourne Uni, but I'm also doing a lot of my work at uh, Monash University. And so in both groups, uh, there's interesting uh, solar re- research going on uh, involving so using materials to for depollution. So using photocatalysis, so degrading uh, pollutants using the energy from the the sun. Then you've also got artificial leaf system, so using water splitting, so you use energy from the sun to split water and produce hydrogen, which can then be used for hydrogen vehicles or these kind of things. Wow,
0: that, that's promising. And um, a- anything else?
2: Um, yeah, so people still working on uh, the dye-sensitized dye, solar cells, and I think at, at Monash at the minute, there, there's a a very large focus on on these perovskite solar cells and so trying to understand the mechanisms and trying to understand aspects of how to make them more commercially viable and trying to come up with alternatives to lead. So there's a lot that uh, can be done.
1: For those of you who have just tuned in, you're with the Beyond Zero radio show. And I'm talking, or I'm here today with Richard Keach and Yasmina Dehisi, and they're discussing the stability of perovskite solar cells, the manufacturing process abilities, uh, and other concerns around the development of the technology. Uh, I'll hand it back to you, Richard and Yasmina.
0: Thanks, Laura. Okay, just to finish
1: up, uh,
0: Yasmina. Before we came in today, you said you are about to submit your PhD. Very exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. So um, where to next for you?
2: Well, that's a very good question, Richard. So as you said, I'm submitting on Monday. So I first have to uh, celebrate that. (laughs) So go on holiday. (laughs) And then I'll come back to Melbourne to finish up some of the research. So some of the results haven't been published yet. So you've got to think about uh, publishing those. And after that, well, I haven't quite decided to tell you th- the truth how I'm gonna, what I'm gonna do next. I'd like to, so I still have the same idea that I'd like to contribute to this, to solving this energy crisis. But I haven't found a, a specific way yet uh, of doing so. Uh, actually, if you have any tips, uh, I'm happy to to listen to them <laughs> because you know you, I, I've always been very, uh, I, I've always believed that. Research and development uh, of new technologies is, is is one way to, to you know, to improve things. And actually, I, I encourage, you know, if there's people listening today and who think, oh, should I go into research? Yes, you should go into research and develop these new great technologies. We need people, motivated people. But there's, yeah, so as um, for me and my future, I'm not sure how I'll tackle this problem. Um, <laughs> hopefully fine a job where I, I feel that I can uh, contribute in a valuable manner.
0: Do you think that'll be as a postdoc in a lab somewhere in Australia or do you think you might have to move overseas to find that sort of opportunity?
2: Um, look, I don't think I, I want to do a, a, a postdoc. I think I've had a, I've had a, 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 great, a great deal of uh, Experience with research in the past three and a half years, so now I feel that I want to touch on new things and maybe work with people on. Instead of looking at the future and the long term, I'd like to look at more short term options. So, what's available now, and how can you tell? How can you tell people looking, you know, if you're uh, if you're using this or this, if you insulate like your house, you can not create waste all of this energy, or you know this kind of aspect. If you if you look into local solutions involving communities to together contribute to this solution. So I think new, developing new technologies is one aspect of things, but then also educating people and telling them that there's different ways of, of doing things and there's available technology that you can use that might contribute to this
1: problem. So working together and finding solutions. Have you seen uh, Have you seen this being taken on a, a consumer level at all yet? Is there is there people that have taken this technology, and are they marketing it? Is it has are it gone you, that far yet?
2: The Perovskite yeah, technology, no. Not it, quite. That's still in the research stages, is it? It's very far from the market deployment stage. Yeah, you very just got far. me really excited about the
1: idea of charging <laughs> my phone on my backpack. <laughs> yeah, are there any Hopefully other- one day. Yeah.
0: <laughs> are there any other emerging technologies that Perovskites are competing with in terms of opportunity to... Create future solar cells.
2: Look, to tell you the truth, I don't really like this idea of um, uh, competitivity. I don't don't think it has to be about competition. They are, yeah.
0: Just alternatives. But I think uh, silicon cells seem safe in their dominance for now, but let's hope that uh, perovskites have a role to play.
2: Yeah, I think the silicon cells are, are doing a great job, but I think it's not because the technology, especially now that they have really become uh, much cheaper. It wasn't when the these low-cost technologies ha- had started to be researched, the silicon cell was still very expensive. So people, if they had to choose between fossil fuel-generated electricity or PV-generated electricity, they, they'll go f- towards fossil fuel just because it was cheaper. Now it's showing that this is not the case anymore, it doesn't have to be the case. So mm. I think on that perspective, I think it's great that the, this technology has gone uh, much cheaper, but it's not because this is available and, and, and cheap that other technologies shouldn't be developed. You can always learn new things from developing new technologies and you can combine them to make them even more efficient and, and cheaper. So why not do it if you can?
0: Yeah, cool.
1: Well, guys, uh, you've been listening to the Beyond Zero radio show uh, with our expert interviewer Richard Keach and Yasmina Dihisi discussing the pair of Skype solar cells. Uh, if you want to listen to this show or any of our other shows, uh, you can do so on our, on our podcast. So that's at bze.org.au or at 3cr.org.au. Uh, or follow us on Twitter, guys. Uh, get all the updates. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.